Well, good morning, everyone. You may be seated. Well, today is a very exciting day here at All Saints Church, one which I've been looking forward to for quite some time. It is our privilege to have Reverend Dr. Chris Royer with us, who is the Director of Anglican Frontier Missions, and he'll be coming to share from God's Word and about the ministry of Anglican Frontier Missions in just a moment. He also has some of his team members together here with him today as well. And if you're with Chris as part of the AFM team, could you just raise your hand? We want to welcome you this morning. We're so glad to have all of you here. And so, Chris, would you come and share? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as we're singing that song, I just thank you, All Saints. You are a great commission church. You have that in your bones, in your DNA. When AFM started in 1993, you were one of the first churches partnering with us. So it is just such an honor and privilege for me to be here with you all this morning. And, and some of our team members, Asher and Hannah, are heading out to Central Asia next year, and, and DT over here is in Turkey, and they are working to spread the gospel in very difficult places. I invite you to come up and, yeah, we can give them applause. Praise God. I invite you to, to come see them and come to our booth after the service. We've got our, our silver anniversary book and some handcrafted goods made from some of our missionaries in East Asia. And uh, with that, I'm going to ask uh, the friend in the booth to roll the video, and then we'll get to, mes- to the, today's message. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this, and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this. That the whole world would know him. That every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah. There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today. But only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%? They're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. 
And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only 1 one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the 3 billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart to see the unreached reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups that brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all peoples. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's this man from the snow-filled streets of Chicago. He and his wife decided to take a vacation down in South Florida. The husband got there a day before his wife checked into the hotel. Uh, His computer had just crashed, and his wife had just got a new email address. So he wanted to email his wife. He jogged his memory, came up with the email address, but he missed it by one character. The email instead went to a preacher's wife whose husband had just been buried about an hour beforehand. The email read like this, dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything's prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Love your dearest husband. P.S. Sure is hot down here. (laughs) Well, that may be a, a funny or a comical joke to some, but hell is by no means comical. More about hell later. First, a little bit about me. I grew up in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, um, child of Generation X. Growing up for me, life was fun. It was loads of open space, hiking, biking in the summertime, skiing every wintertime, basketball all the time. I love basketball. And growing up was fun. When it turned 16, I studied really hard for this test. I went down to the local DMV, took the test, passed the test the first time, unlike some in my family, and uh, I got my what? Someone tell me. Driver's license and freedom. Remember that feeling? For some of us, it's harder to remember than others, but freedom when you're 16, right? To go where you want to go, do what you want to do, and dream what you want to dream. 
And at college, God gave me a dream to go share the sweetness of Jesus Christ with Muslims in the Middle East. So after I got my master's degree, I launched out to the Middle East and I got blindsided by the unpredictability of the region. 1990, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And some of us who are alive remember that in the aftermath, the Kurds rose up and they tried to overthrow Saddam. Instead, Saddam brutally, mercilessly attacked them. And he drove some of them for days, many of them for weeks on end, through sleet and rain, northward towards the mountains of northern Iraq and southern Turkey. And I'm in Turkey at the time. And this is before cell phones and internet and all this stuff. And news is dribbling out that this has happened. And I have this opportunity to go and help them and minister to them. And these strange, this strange mixture of feelings starts churning inside of me. Genuine fear and apprehension of what I might encounter if I go. But yet a desire to go and help and minister to those Kurds huddled in the mountains. When I grew up in the Colorado mountains, my parents had this beautiful custom-made house with central heating and a gorgeous fireplace, and we were never cold at all. But in those mountains of southern Turkey, northern Iraq, the only, the only you can put that slide back up there, the only shelter that those Kurdish people had were makeshift tents. Go up to the slide on the mountains there, makeshift tents, and there were thousands of them, and the wind and the weather got in all of the time. In my parents' Colorado mountain house, I could go out on the porch and go and just do a 360 spin like this, and I could see incredible vistas of the Rocky Mountains as far as the eye could see. It was gorgeous. But on top of that mountain in southeast Turkey, northern Iraq, the only thing that these two eyes saw were piles of human suffering and agony. In America, we exercise to lose weight, right? A lot of us do. And the beauty of a nice hot shower afterwards, just vegging in the shower or a soft, steamy bubble bath, whatever, is, whatever cranks your shaft. But, but there in those mountains, the only water was about half a mile away and they had to carry it by hand. Their exercise was exercise for survival. You know, um, in high school, in high school, I had uh, so much freedom when I got my, my car, but I'm looking into the eyes of, of high school-age kids every day on top of that mountain, and, and they're slaves. They're slaves to their culture. They're slaves to their cigarettes that they smoke incessantly. They're slaves to one man that they hate from the gut, a visceral hate, Saddam Hussein, because their world is a cruel, threatening, unpredictable place. And so, friends, i just honest with you. The longer I stayed on, on that mountain, trying to minister to refugees with anything, everything that I could well up, spiritual, emotional, fleshly inside of me, with any energy or strength I had, the longer I stayed, the more hopeless I felt. When I was in college, try to remember when you're in college for some of us, I had dreams for my life, things I wanted to do and accomplish and become, but I'm looking into college-age students every day on that mountain, and they don't know that they can dream They've never thought about dreaming because there are no opportunities. They're mired in hopelessness, in despair, in despondency. And so after weeks on the mountain, I'm trying to work through all these conflicting, contradictory feelings churning up inside of me. And I feel about this big. And I feel like the problems of the world are this big times infinity. And I'm thinking to myself, how sheltered I was. How comfortable my faith is. 
brothers and sisters at All Saints, I was face to face with the reality of millions of people across the globe, homeless and hopeless people, broken and bruised people, people from Pakistan and Bangladesh and Iran and Iraq and Algeria and Sudan, and the list goes on and on and on. And I'm thinking, what can I do? What can y'all at All Saints Church do? In my seminary education, we often debated about heaven and hell. Heaven and hell were theological categories, constructs that we debated and and tossed around. But here on top of this mountain, I feel the heaviness on my shoulders and my heart is because I'm standing in the midst of a living hell. I feel like hell is all around me, everywhere. Do y'all believe in hell? I know you do, because I know this church is a gospel church, and I know that Father Scott preaches the gospel, and he preaches the Bible, and the Bible talks about hell, and Jesus talks about hell. In the book of Revelation, which we read today, talks about hell. We read from chapter 20, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever. And when I read that passage, I say, hallelujah, amen. Because all of the struggles in my life, all the struggles on planet earth with the lust of pride, the, lust of, uh, the, the, boast, the, the, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, all of the weaknesses, all the sins that beset me, all of the conflicts, all of the wickedness in the world will be dead, gone, and buried. Hallelujah for that verse. But the problem for so many is just a few verses later in Revelation 20, verse 15. Anyone not in the book of life is cast into hell. That is, and this is so important if you're maybe watching online in your living room. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are saved eternally. You are Jesus's forever. But if you haven't bent the knee to Jesus Christ, his word says that those folks are cast into hell hell. And so for many of us, I know this might not feel right. It might not resonate inside of us. It may feel like there's a disconnect. So let's try to unpack that just a little bit right now. I want us all to think about hell, not so much as a destination or not so much as a location, but a condition. Say the word condition with me. Condition. Hell is the condition of living your life on planet earth or in the next life without Jesus, the son of God and his spirit indwelling you and living in you and moving through you. You know, I used to live near Hilton Head, South Carolina when I was a priest right out of seminary. Hilton Head, South Carolina is one of the most beautiful places on the globe, bar none. You've got incredible beaches there, and you've got great weather there, and you've got crabbing and shrimping and fishing and incredible golf courses there. There's so many beautiful places, so much to do there. Hilton Head, South Carolina, I think, is one of the most beautiful places in the world. But I soon discovered as a priest that there are people who are miserable in the most beautiful place in the world, that marriages fall apart there, that kids get addicted to drugs and alcohol there that homes are foreclosed on there, that elderly are lonely there. You can be downright miserable in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And friends, 
You see, you know how, to, how awesome your surroundings are. You can feel like you're living in hellish or hell-like conditions. But just the opposite is also true, church. You can be living in hell-like, horrific, just unspeakably difficult surroundings and being experiencing a slice of heaven in your life. Like my Wheaton College friend, Dan Bauman. Dan, after college, he felt like God was calling him to share the gospel in Iran. And so he went out with his friend and he got arrested in the 90s and, and con- on these concocted, made-up charges. He, they said he was spying for the CIA. And he got put into the worst physical place on the globe, bar none. Evan Prison in Tehran, Iran, for 61 days. And yet he writes about his imprisonment, he says, as you see on the slide, I felt that the hands of God were underneath me in these horrific hell-like conditions. Corrie Tenboom, remember her? German, Nazi, concentration camps. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Hallelujah, amen. God can sustain us in any physical condition, in any physical environment, bar none. And brothers and sisters, this is the light bulb that went on in my mind as I'm standing up in this mountain, is that God wants to use little old me to bring heaven into hell-like conditions by changing one life at a time. All Saints Church, God wants to use each one of you, and he wants to use this church to bring heaven into hell-like conditions by changing one life at a time. Amen. Amen. You see, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This verse speaks to condition. It speaks to you may not be experiencing the life of God right now, but if you say yes to Jesus and follow Jesus, you can have heaven living inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit just by saying yes to Jesus. You see, church, Jesus didn't come to push us away or to condemn us or say, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus came Because this world is swirling in hell-like conditions right now. The Bible paints this picture of of the brokenness of the world. We read about it in Genesis chapter 3 today. It stems from Adam and Eve. And all of us are, are infected with this disease that we call sin. And our planet, if you read the Bible, it's like it's spinning out of control towards this precipice. It's going to fall off. The world is not a good place. And I think for many of us over the last 15 months, at least for me, I've experienced this more than any other time in my adult life, that the world is a seriously messed up place. The pandemic, racial tensions in our country, rioting, looting. And to me, it feels like the foundations of this great nation are just splintering and fracturing and it feels like the foundations of our country and in some ways the world are just falling apart and in the midst of all this there's shipwreck lives strewn across this city shipwreck lives strewn across the globe and God the father sees this and he and he has mercy and he has empathy and pity on us people and he says what can I do what can I do to help them how can I save them And so he says, I know, I've got an idea. I'll call this guy named Noah 
And he'll build an ark and we'll start a new humanity through this one man. And you remember the ark story. He builds it. They get on, they get off. And the first thing that happens when he gets off the ark is what? Noah gets drunk. And it breaks the father's heart. And so the father says, I've got another plan, plan B. There's this dude named Abram. He's a righteous guy. He's got great faith. I'll start a new nation through him. And so he, he creates Israel. He sends the law and the prophets and, and priests and kings. But they're stiff-necked and they're hard-hearted. And again and again, they break the father's heart. And so God says, I know what I'll do, plan C. Surely they'll listen to my son, my one and only son, Jesus Jesus becomes man. He lives among us. He teaches us the way of love, the way of unity. But the evil of the world crushes him. It destroys him. If there was a fire in this church, God forbid, and we are all stuck, and the firefighters came, and they were able to save most of us, but they couldn't save each and every one of us. When those of us who were outside and saved, would we blame the firefighters? I wouldn't. I'd say, thank you so much, man, for risking your life to save me and to save everyone. You see, our Father in heaven is a firefighter. He risked his very life to come and save us. And he's called each and every one of us here in this room and on the video uh, live stream. He's called us as rescue agents and firefighters to go out into the world and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And I don't know about you, but this excited me. This compelled me and it convicted me so much. I felt I had to do something about it when I was in college. It's the reason I spent almost two decades of my life in the Middle East because the lostness of the world and the sweetness of King Jesus so gripped me. I felt I had to respond. You see, church, when you really understand what's going on in the world and what the good book says, you will do one of two things. You will retreat and isolate and step back and say, no, that's not my battle. That's not for me. All you say, here I am, God. I'm all in. Which one are you? Which one are you? Here's the deal. Our enemy doesn't want us to believe in hell because he thinks it's bad enough that each and every one of us who've put our faith in Jesus is saved. He preferred that we don't talk to people about the sweetness of Jesus and about the reality of eternal consequences. But the thing is, if hell doesn't exist, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And if Jesus didn't have to die on a cross, then our salvation is meaningless. And if our salvation is meaningless, our being here worshiping this morning is meaningless. But Father Chris, people will tell me, what about those people in the Middle East, the Kurds up on top of that mountain? They've never had missionaries come to them. So they don't have Bibles or bishops or pastors or priests. There are very few indigenous churches in their midst. How could a loving God allow people like that to experience an eternity without him? To which I respond, how can you and me, the people of God, allow people like that to continue on in hell-like conditions? You see, friends, the most hell-like places on the globe the places, yes, thank you for that slide, leave it up, with the, the least amount of clean drinking water, 
the, the greatest amount of trafficking, the places with the most famine and drought and, and harshest governments in the world are in a, in a window there that we call the 1040 window. Say that with me, 1040 window. It's just a window of the world, the 10th degree above the equator up to the 40th degree above the equator in the Eastern hemisphere. That generally speaking is where the worst physical living conditions exist on the globe. The 1040 window for so many people like the Kurds I met on that mountain is a living hell. And it just so happens that that same window is the place, the region in the world where the church is not by and large where the church has not been indigenized, where there are not church planning movements, where the gospel is not known widely. So how can we can just continue to leave that place alone? How can we, as the video said, continue to send just a small percentage of our resources and our peoples into, into areas that need the gospel both, both for the spiritual transformation and for the physical societal transformation that comes after the gospel? Jesus said, once you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I know you all are, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth is what the disciples gave their lives for. All but a few died outside of Jerusalem. They went to the ends of the earth. It's what they gave their lives for. It's what you and me, his disciples, are to give our lives for. So the question then becomes, all saints, Anglican church, what do you have? What can you do? What can you give? Well, if you have a beating heart, and I know we all do here, praise God, if you have a heart, you can pray. Asher and Hannah are going to Central Asia in March. They need a prayer team. Sign up for their prayer letter. DT over here, ministers in the Middle East. He needs prayer warriors. AFM as an organization has an e-publication. Sign up for our prayer letter. If you have a heart, you can pray. Pray not only for the needs here in Woodbridge, but for Anglicans who are serving in places where the church is not. If you have a heart, you can pray. If you have a mind, you can grow. We got some great literature on the table. Pick some of that stuff up. Tons of stuff online to learn how the Spirit of God is moving in our day among unreached peoples unlike any other day. The dreams and visions that Muslims are seeing across the globe that you may have heard about, it's real. If you have a mind, you can grow and learn about what God is doing in this world today. If you have a mouth... Some of ours are covered right now, but if you have a mouth, you can share. Father Scott was telling me, I think that 40% of Woodbridge or Dale City right now is immigrants. There are some amazing things that you all can do here. We can talk about that another time. As immigrants are coming to our nation, many of them from places and regions where there is no church. And it's not just immigrants. If we don't open our mouths as Jesus followers and start sharing the gospel more broadly, America will be an unreached nation within three, four, five generations. If you have a mouth, you can share. And finally, if you've got two feet to walk with, you can go. Go as a cross-cultural worker. Go for a summer, go for a year, best yet, go for your life. Because God is still calling people to go to places with little to no Christian 
presence. We need English teachers. We need professors. We need people who have handyman skills. We need all types of professionals. God can use anyone and everyone if they've got two feet to walk with and a willing heart. Might it be that God is calling one or two of us here or some of us online to become long-term cross-cultural workers? It's the most glorious calling you could ever have in life. C.T. Studd once said, some want to live within the sound of church and bell. I want to be a rescue agent within a yard of hell. God desires each and every one of us, whether we go or stay, to be his rescue agents. You know, years ago, there was a famous violinist named Fritz Kreisler. My two girls play violin, so we follow this stuff. He earned a fortune with his concertos, his concerts, and his playing, but he, he donated a lot of it away. And so when this really exquisite, beautiful um, antique violin came on the market, he just he lusted after a violin, okay? He was covetous. He wanted to buy it, but he didn't have enough money. And so he went and he started playing more and more and earning lots of money. And when he had enough money to put an offer in on it, he went to the collector only to find out that the violin had been sold to someone else. And he was, he was despondent. He wanted it so bad. And so he went to the new collector who had just bought the violin and said, can I put an offer on it? And the collector said, uh-uh, this baby ain't for sale. And he said, he changes tactics. Very good to change tactics. He changes tactics. He said, well, if that's the case, could I play it just once? And the collector who didn't play violin said, sure. So he got it out of the case. He tightened the string. He rosined the bow. He picked up this 300-year violin and started playing the most heavenly music that that collector had ever heard. So much so that the violin collector was started to move to tears. It was so beautiful. And as Fritz Chrysler was putting the violin away, the collector said to him, I can't keep this violin for myself. Take it. It's yours. But make sure you play it for all the world to hear. Brothers and sisters at All Saints, you have something in your hands. You have some, someone living inside of you so much more precious than a piece of wood and some strings. The power and presence of the living Jesus Christ is residing in each and every one of us through the Holy Spirit who's been poured out into our hearts because of the love of the Father. You cannot hold this for yourselves. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, all saints, Anglican Church, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything that Jesus has commanded to you. And as you go, as you are going, my God will be with you today, tomorrow, until the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this missional church. I thank you that missions and gospel evangelism is in their DNA.
Lord, I thank you for the great and glorious history they've had. And I just want to pray that you would stir up this charism in this church. Stir up this gift of evangelism. Stir up the healing ministries. Stir up the prayer in this church, Lord God. In the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And now all saints, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands up because I want to bless you. And as a sign that you want to receive the blessing of God, let me bless you right now. And I just declare over you, arise, shine, all saints. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, nations will dwell in darkness. Thick darkness covers the whole earth. But the Lord has risen upon you. Nations will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising through the power and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords, son of God, risen from the dead. And together, all God's children say together, amen. We've just heard a word from the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes. Um, This gospel business is serious stuff and it is God's call to all of us, whether it be right here or around the world and God's call to us as a church, as Chris has just affirmed. And I can speak this because this is in line with God's word. It's not a question of, you know, subjectivity. God's call is for us to be in ever increasing measure, a mission focused church, brothers and sisters here in this community, but not just in this community all around the world. It's not an either, or it is, as you've heard me say before, it is a both and, and we need to pray into that. We need to pray that God will raise up people in this church, not only here in this community, but across the nation and around the world. Um, I believe in a church this size, there are people that God's going to call to short-term missions, people God's going to call to long-term missions, including some of our young people, some of our youth and young adults. Um, And if God's speaking to you, please talk to me. Talk to Father Jed. Let us hook you up with Father Chris. Don't, um, I can tell you this, I'm not, wasn't called to be a missionary, but I was called to be a pastor and a priest. And I got to tell you, don't run from that call. (laughs) Um, I did for a long time. And, um, don't run from it because God will bless you and go with you as you step into it. So let's be a missionary church. Let's grow to be a greater missionary church according to God's will. Amen. Amen. I also want to ask Chris if he would come up and um, I want to pray for him and for his team. I'm going to put you all on the spot. If you would stand and those near them, if you could reach out your hands toward them, Chris, team, go ahead, folks, if you would please stand and Let's all stand together and reach our hands out toward these folks. I'm going to ask the folks up here with me to come and lay hands on our brother Chris. Stretch your hands toward his team members. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Father, thank you for the call of the gospel that has transformed and continues to transform our lives. And Father, your heart, your will, Your express will in your word is that this gospel would be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, that all may hear, that all may know. So, Lord, we pray your hand upon Chris, upon each of these team members, upon missionaries throughout the Anglican world and faithful missionaries preaching the gospel, whatever their denominational affiliation. And we ask, Father, that the gospel would indeed go to the ends of the earth. 
but for Chris and for these team members. God, we pray your blessing upon them right now. We pray, God, your mighty hand to rest upon them, to continue to confirm them in your calling. Let your giftings and your signs flow through them. Make them faithful and true heralds of the gospel in difficult and dark places, that the light of Jesus Christ would dispel the darkness to the ends of the earth. Bless them, Lord. Use them in incredibly great measure. Use them for your glory. And Lord, unite us together with them, even as Chris has shared, in prayer, in partnerships, in going. And God, above all else, make all of us together obedient to your call. Surrendered to your will. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.